We turn in sacred scripture to Hebrews chapters 10 and 11. And let's begin at Hebrews 10 verse 26. A few verses earlier than what is in the bulletin. Hebrews 10 verse 26 and we'll read through Hebrews 11 verse 16. We're reading this in connection with Lord's Day 7 which we consider again this week looking at the confident nature of saving faith. Hebrews 10 beginning at verse 26. For if we sin willfully After that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses of how much Sorer punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done despot unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which, after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come, will come, and will not tarry. Now, the just shall live by faith, But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. And now he goes to explain what that believing is. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We'll, we'll spend a lot of time in the preaching looking at that language. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen 
were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Well, so far, we will carry out the reading of sacred scripture this morning. It's on the basis of this passage of scripture and on the basis of many passages that we have the instruction of Lord's Day 7 of the Catechism. Found on page 6 in the back of the Psalter, Lord's Day 7. Are all men then as they perished in Adam, saved by Christ? No. Only those who are engrafted into Him and receive all His benefits by a true faith. What is true faith? And this is what we're going to look at, especially this morning. True faith is not only a certain knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in His Word, but also an assured confidence which the Holy Ghost works by the gospel in my heart 
that not only to others, but to me also, remission of sin, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. What is then necessary for a Christian to believe? All things promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic undoubted Christian faith briefly teach us. And then question and answer 23 lists those articles of the Apostles' Creed. (coughs) Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is our second sermon on Lord's Day 7. Last week in our first sermon, we looked at four features of saving faith. Faith, first of all, is a gift of God. It's a gift that has been purchased for us on the cross of Jesus Christ, and it's a gift that is imparted to us by Christ through His Spirit. Second, faith can be referred to as the bond by which we are united to Christ. Faith is that instrument which God uses to impart to me the benefits and the blessings that are found in Jesus Christ. And we emphasized that last time. This is where we are in the catechism. We are looking at how we are delivered from our sin and misery. And Jesus delivers us from our sin and misery, not only by dying for us on the cross, taking away our guilt, but Jesus also delivers us from our sin and misery by also uniting us to himself through the instrument of faith, by a true and living faith, through which he imparts to us all his riches, life, Righteousness, hope, peace, fellowship with God. In our last sermon, we also spoke about how faith can be understood as a faculty, a spiritual faculty or power whereby God gives us the actual fitness to believe, the ability to be active in the activity of believing. And then briefly, we also spoke of what faith is as an activity. Faith is a certain knowledge and an assured confidence. Those are the four things we looked at last week. Faith as a gift, faith as a bond, faith as a faculty, faith as an activity. Now this morning, we want to speak more at length on that last aspect of faith as an activity. Out of the bond of faith, out of the power of faith, as I live out of Christ... I begin to think straight. My mind has become illuminated, to use the words of Scripture we just read. I begin to see spiritual things and realities that I couldn't see before. And out of the bond of faith, or or really as very part and parcel of that living bond of faith, I begin to exercise myself in this spiritual life which I have received in Jesus Christ. I begin to live by faith. I begin to walk by faith. I am given knowledge and confidence. And I exercise myself in that knowledge and confidence. With Jesus Christ at work in me, I begin to exercise myself in the activity of believing. And that's how faith becomes active. And this morning, we want to study this reality in more detail. 
And although this is a catechism sermon, we're working through Lord's Day 7, we're really going to concentrate on Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2, because these verses, and really all of Hebrews 11, which the 4th and 5th graders are memorizing this year, all of this is emphasizing the activity of faith, the confident nature of saving faith. That's our theme for this morning, the confident nature of saving faith. And we look at that theme under three points. First, we look at the confidence of faith. Second, we look at the object of faith, what faith believes. And then third, we look at the reward of faith, Hebrews 11, verse 2. As I said, I want to spend a great deal of time on Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. In these verses, we don't have an exhaustive definition or explanation of what faith is, but we do have a good description of the activity of faith and the strong confidence that characterizes faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, if you're similar to me, when you read that verse, you might scratch your head and say, well, what does that actually mean? I, I, I maybe get it intuitively, but what does that language mean? From this point of view, maybe even Lord's Day 7 is easier to understand. What is true faith? A certain knowledge, whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to me in His Word. That's the activity of faith. And an assured confidence, this confidence that I have, that not only to others, but to me also, there is forgiveness of sins, everlasting life, and righteousness, and salvation. That, that's maybe longer, Lord's Day 7, but what Lord's Day 7 says is, is really the exact same as what we have here in Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 11, verse 1 uses different words that may, that may make it be more challenging to, to fully understand what it's saying. So let's, let's look at this. First of all, we read, faith is the substance of things hoped for. What does that mean? What does the word substance mean? It really shouldn't be this difficult, but, but what we need to be aware of is that the King James gives us this kind of language because the King James itself is trying to avoid giving us an interpretation of what the original says. And it just gives us a raw word that captures what the original is saying. And it leaves it to us to make work of understanding what that word is saying. In the original Greek, the word that is used is the word hypostasis. Faith is the hypostasis of things hoped for. And that word hypostasis is a deep word that has a number of shades of meaning to it. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, this same word, substance, hypostasis, is translated there as the word person. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, speaking about Jesus, we read, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. It's the same word, hypostasis. Or maybe think of the word or phrase, hypostatic union. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. The personal union, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, and the divine nature and human nature of Jesus are intimately united in the one person, the hypostatic union, the personal union. 
In Hebrews 3 verse 14, this same Greek word is found again, and there, Hebrews 3 verse 14, it's translated differently again by the word confidence. Hebrews 3 verse 14, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. So in the book of Hebrews, this word is translated in apparently very different ways. Substance, person, confidence. And the point is, again, it's a challenging word that has a few different shades of meaning. And in Hebrews 11 verse 1, all these different shades of meaning come to us to help us understand the meaning of this phrase. Faith is the hypostasis of things hoped for. So we're doing some language study this morning. First, that word can be understood by our English word substance. The King James is is very good in his translation. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And what that means is this. Faith gives substance to the things we are hoping for. And the idea is this. Faith lays hold on what God has promised us and faith lays hold on it as something that is real and solid, something that has real substance. Even though these things that faith is laying hold on to are not in and of themselves physical things or even yet things that are even in our possession. Faith gives substance or faith makes real the things that we are not yet in possession of, the things you can't yet see with your physical eye. Now, that doesn't mean that faith makes real what is simply pretend or make-believe. No. But it means that faith brings the things that are real. They are real, but we don't yet possess them. Faith brings these things before us so that it is as if we are already in possession of these things even though, in actuality, we're still hoping for these things. That's the idea. Faith holds the things that we hope for before our mind's eye so that we are certain and we are sure of these things that are yet to be given to us or yet to happen in the future. Faith makes these future realities substantial. Substance. Faith gives substance to heaven. Faith gives substance to the resurrection of the dead. Faith gives substance to Jesus' second coming and the final judgment. These are things that are yet to happen in the future. They haven't happened yet. You haven't seen them yet. But they are real things that are coming. And it is faith that lays hold on these things, that holds these things before us and makes them real to us so that we see these things by faith and we are confident in these things and we enjoy the prospect of these things happening. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith makes real and present to us the things that we have not yet seen. That's the word substance. Second of all, the word that is used also has the idea of serving as a foundation. That's that's literally what the word means. Standing under. That's a hypostasis. That's a person. That's Jesus' divine... uh, His who he is as the second person of the Trinity. He is the one who stands under, you might say, the the divine nature and the human nature and, and unites them. That's the hypostasis, standing up underneath them so that they are united in one. And that's the word here. That that can be the meaning here too. 
so that the word is to be understood as a, as a foundation. Faith serves as a foundation of things hoped for. That's the idea then. What it means then is this. Faith is the beginning which contains the certainty of the end. The idea is, by faith, we begin to enjoy the things that we are hoping for, and what we now enjoy only by faith, we will one day enjoy by seeing in person and by possessing in its complete fullness. And faith is the beginning of it all, right? Faith is the foundation of it all. You see the house being built, and the foundation is kind of the beginning of the, of the whole house. The full enjoyment of these things begins by enjoying these things by faith. So it's foundational. The idea then is we believe in the resurrection of the body. We believe in the new heavens and new earth. That's what faith believes. And one day our faith is going to be sight. We won't just believe in the resurrection. We will be partakers of the resurrection We won't just believe in the new heavens and new earth, but we will enjoy the new heavens and new earth. That's the idea being communicated to us when we read, now faith is the substance, or faith is the foundation of things hoped for. It's the foretaste. It's the guarantee of the things that we hope for. And then third of all, this same word, this word substance, can also be translated as the word confidence, or assurance. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is confident of the things which it believes. By faith we live as if things were other than what they just appear by the eye, the physical eye. We walk by faith, not by sight. And we are confident in what we believe. Now I hope these different explanations haven't confused you, but my point is to show you that if the King James is rather difficult to understand, it's because in the original, the word is very deep and rich. In fact, it seems that the writer to the Hebrews chooses a particularly challenging word that has a broad and rich array of meaning, and it's just difficult for us in the English language to capture what he's communicating. The main idea is... Faith makes real to us the things that are otherwise unreal to our earthly experiences. Faith presents to our hearts the things that cannot be seen with our eyes. Or to go back to the catechism, faith holds for truth. Holds for truth all that God has revealed in His Word. Faith holds for truth that which you could not hold for truth if you didn't have the gift and the power of faith. That's how faith behaves. Faith holds for truth all that God has revealed in His Word, even though it's something that lies way in the future, even though it's something that no one else can see. You can't even see it with your physical eye, yet you hold it to be true. It's real to you. It is real. And you you just know that it's real. You appreciate that it's real. You see that it's real by faith. Now, when you move through Hebrews 11, that's exactly what the writer is emphasizing again and again and again. Abraham never saw the city which has foundations. 
as he walked as a pilgrim and stranger on the earth. He never saw it. But he believed that heavenly city with foundations. He knew that it's real. But the only way that he could lay hold on that city, the only way he could live in tents, not clinging to the things here below, is because he had faith, the activity of faith. That's what made heaven real to Abraham. That's why he could live as a pilgrim in the world. Sarah was barren and past the age of childbearing. She was 90 years old. But Sarah believed God's promises. She believed in the promised child before she even conceived. And it was by faith that she received strength to conceive. And the point is, the promised child Isaac was real to Sarah before he even existed. Sarah's faith made this promised child real to her. He was coming. There was, there was no doubt or discrepancy or question about that. But it was by faith that This promised child was real to her and existed. Noah believed that God would destroy the world with a flood. The flood was real to Noah. It was not real to anyone else on the whole earth. Now that doesn't mean that Noah was believing in something that was fantasy or unreal. The flood was real. It's very clear. It came. But the only way it had substance, the only way it was real to Noah was by faith. And by faith, Noah believed and built the ark. And then the flood came, and the unbelievers found out that that coming flood that Noah looked to by faith was a very real thing indeed. But it wasn't a reality to them because they didn't have faith. This is the nature of true faith. True faith gives substance It gives reality to these things that are contained in God's word so that true faith lays hold on God's word. It trusts that what God says in here is true and true faith acts accordingly. That's what faith is. And again, this is not make-believe because what God says is true. It is real. This is the great reality. And faith is the gift that God gives us So we are made, we can by faith see and hold for truth that which he has spoken to us of. So that we live according to this truth and we live according to the certainty of his promises. Faith is knowledge and confidence. This raises an important point. Faith is not doubt. Sometimes we have that, don't we? We we can struggle Maybe we call it a weak faith. Maybe we call it doubt. But we, we don't commit ourselves entirely to what God's word has promised us. We stumble. We, it's hard to, to rest fully in what God has told us in his word. Maybe I sometimes question how this moment can actually be for my good. Well, that's, that's not proper. That's not to be encouraged because that's, that's kind of making unreal, acting as if it's unreal. What is real 
and what we should know by faith. This is what the world would have you to do, though. To to have us stop walking by faith and instead start walking by something else. Maybe it be by sight. You see, this is exactly what these Hebrew Christians were struggling with in the book of Hebrews. That's why we also read the last verses of chapter 10. The Hebrews here were facing persecution. These Hebrews were Christians who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. That's why they're called Hebrews. They're Jewish Christians. And their family members who had not converted were pressuring them to go back to the way of their forefathers. That is, to go back to worshiping at the temple, making those bloody sacrifices. And these Christians were being persecuted because they weren't willing to go back to that. But you see, things were getting hard. The persecution was unrelenting. They were getting weary, tired of fighting this good fight of faith. They were tempted to doubt what they believed. And the writer to the Hebrews says, you need to have faith. You need to have faith just like the Old Testament saints before you needed to have faith. Not faith in the bloody sacrifices, but faith in the Christ, Jesus. Faith in God's promises. You need to embrace the promises of God as real. You need to have confidence in them, just like Abraham, just like Sarah, just like Noah. You need to exercise confidence in the things you're hoping for. You need to keep holding Jesus' second coming and the resurrection of the dead and the new heavens and the new earth. You need to keep holding that before your mind. By faith, you need to hold these things before you and have them real before you so that you see these things and you are confident in these things and you enjoy the prospect of these things in the midst of your hard persecution. Because one of the temptations these Hebrew Christians was facing was to go back to the things that they could see with their eyes. See, that was the attraction of Judaism at this time, after Jesus fulfilled all the types in the shadows. You could see it with your eyes. You could see the bloody sacrifices. That's a whole lot easier, isn't it? It doesn't require the activity of faith. And the writer to the Hebrews says, the just... The righteous, the ones who are saved, live by faith, not by sight. You need to exercise your faith. You need to exercise the confidence, the certain knowledge and assured confidence of faith. That's how the heroes of the Old Testament walked in the Old Testament times. And now you still need to live the same way in New Testament times. And that's also why the writer goes on in the second half of verse 1 to say, and the evidence of things not seen. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And and maybe we have the same question there. What does that mean? It's a little blurry for me. Well, what we need to understand is that we have Hebrew parallelism here so that the second half of the verse repeats and expands on the first half of the verse and the meaning, but it's the same idea being expressed Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That is, to explain it in different words, faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is convicted that even though it can't see what it believes in with the physical eye, nevertheless, it still holds it to be true. Or perhaps we could even put it this way. I think this is a little deeper. 
Faith gives evidence to the things that it can't see. Right? Even though we can't see these things with our eyes, the fact that I believe these things, which is a faith that is not of my own making, but it's a faith given to me by God. This is the mind of Christ in me, the life of Christ in me. That, in a sense, is the evidence that these things are real. Faith doesn't require outside demonstration. Faith doesn't need physical proofs for what it believes. Have you ever seen a 90-year-old woman give birth before? Have you ever seen the world covered with a flood before? I don't need visible proofs to believe these things. I believe it to be true. The creation of the world in six 24-hour days. I don't need any visible proof. I believe it. The faith that God has worked in my heart convicts me that this is how the universe was created. That's what true faith is. It convicts me that this is how the world was created. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen, the things you can see with your eyes, weren't made from Anything else you can see with your eyes wasn't made that way. How did Moses behave himself in Egypt? We didn't read that far. How could Moses simply forsake all the earthly luxuries and pleasures of Egypt and join himself to God's poor, enslaved, miserable, dying people who had absolutely no hope in themselves that they would ever be delivered from this Egyptian bondage? How could he do that kind of a thing? He could do it because he believed. He was convicted that God's promises made to Abraham 400 years earlier still remained. And he would keep his promise and deliver his people. There was absolutely nothing visible to the, visible, nothing visible to the eye that showed that God was going to do it. Except for maybe the fact that Israel was in bondage, and, and that too was according to what God said 400 years earlier. But the point is, Moses believed it. Now, let's apply that to ourselves. Beloved, have you seen God? And now this is where it gets kind of tricky because we're so used to living by faith that I see God everywhere. But, but let me ask you, have you actually seen God? No. But are you convicted that he exists? Yes. Ha have you seen the Trinity? No. Well, I look in God's word. I can think of Jesus' baptism. I see the Trinity there at his baptism. But that's, that's living by faith. But, but with your physical eye, have you seen the Trinity? No. But nevertheless, do you believe that God, the one true God, is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yes. Beloved, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Have you see, did you see him die on the cross? Did you see the empty tomb yourself? Did you see him lying in the manger 2,000 years ago? 
Let's get a little bit more abstract. Have you seen the atonement? Have you seen that? Have you seen the forgiveness of your sins? Maybe we say, well, I've seen Jesus' power to forgive sins because he made that lame man, that paralyzed man walk, and it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than to say rise up and walk. I've seen it because I'm there by faith when Jesus performs that miracle, but but I haven't, I haven't seen the forgiveness of sins with my eyes. I haven't seen the Holy Spirit. Have you seen a glorified Christian perfectly free from sin? Have you actually seen someone risen from the dead? Have you seen the final judgment? Have you seen Satan? Have you seen hell? Have you seen heaven? No, but you are convicted of it, aren't you? You are convicted of these things just like Father Abraham. You are fully persuaded that what God has promised, he is also able to perform. That's how true faith behaves itself. The Christian life is entirely a life living and walking by faith. Let's talk personally. Have you seen your own sins washed away by the blood of Jesus? You've seen your sins. Have you seen them washed away by the blood of Jesus? Have you seen with your own physical eye the kingdom of heaven? Have you seen the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you, imputed to you as your own? Have you seen God's smile shining down on you from heaven? I haven't seen the sky open. And I haven't seen his eye, his smile on me, but I believe it. I believe that not only to others, but to me also. There is the forgiveness of sins. Everlasting righteousness and salvation freely given to me. Merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. That's, that's faith, beloved. You go to a funeral. Maybe you're approaching your own death and you say, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? God has given me already the victory over death and the grave and hell through my Lord, Jesus Christ. That's faith. That's that's how the heroes of faith died also. And they didn't even see Jesus' first coming, did they? But the fact that Jesus hadn't come yet even for them, didn't make it any less real for them. It was real. They knew it was real. Their faith gave substance to the real promises of God so that they could live and die resting in these realities that were yet to come. Now, all of this is important, beloved. It's good that we treat all of this here slowly and carefully this morning in Lord's Day 7 because this is what we're going to spend our time on in the next 15 Lord's Days. We're going to look in the next 15 Lord's Days as to on what true faith believes. This morning, we're setting the stage, as it were, for the next 15 Lord's Days. This is the activity of faith. This is what true faith is. This is how the catechism is progressing. And what we need to understand right now, before we enter those Lord's Days, is that this is how true faith behaves. This is what true faith believes. True faith is confident in all these things. 
And I always think it's an astonishing thing that here I am and there you are and we all believe the same things as fellow believers in Jesus Christ. The faith you have is the faith I have. And, and the catechism was written 450 years ago, and yet we believe the exact same thing that's communicated in the catechism. And it goes even further back than that. We go to God's Word. We go to the Gospel, the message of the Gospel. The same promise, the same things that Adam and Eve believed in, and that Abel believed in, and that Noah, that Enoch and Noah and and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and Elijah, and Isaiah believed in, we believe in the exact same things. The faith we have today, children, children, what you believe is what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob believed many years before. And what they are confident of, what they were confident of, you are confident in. That This is how true faith behaves. True faith is confident in the, the truth of God's word and that God's promises are for me. Even though everything that I see around me in this physical world seems to cry out that things are contrary to what I actually believe. Nevertheless, this is how true faith behaves. Faith is conviction that what I believe is true, even despite everything I'm seeing with my physical eye. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith makes these things real to us, and faith is convicted of the truth of them. That's verse 1. Now we come to the second point of the sermon. And we come across an important question. Why does faith hold these things for truth? Well, faith holds these things for truth, first of all, because faith, true faith, lays hold on Scripture as the Word of God. It's the Scriptures that are giving content to our faith. It's not like we get to choose for ourselves what we are going to hold for truth, right? I, I, I want to believe this, or I like to believe that. No, faith, remember, is the gift of God. It comes from God. It's the faculty that God gives to believe. And what that God-given faith believes is that the Bible is God's true, holy, and infallible word. What, God says about create, what God's word says about creation, what it says about the fall and the flood and all Old Testament history, I hold it for truth. What God's word says about Jesus' incarnation, his atonement for sin, and, and the whole history of sin and grace and the promise of a glorious future in glory, I hold for truth. Faith itself is a reality God gives us. It, this is the mind of Christ in me. This is Christ in me. So that I don't choose what I believe, but, but this is what I'm given to believe. It's a gift God gives his people. And true faith doesn't just hold the scriptures to be the word of God, but true faith believes in the promises of God. True faith hears the voice of God in the scriptures and in the preaching. True faith recognizes the voice of God in it. And true faith says, that's not just God's word spoken generally. 
But that's God speaking to me. That's His promise to me. And again, why does faith hold these things for truth? Because faith ultimately is not just an activity, but it's an activity rooted in Jesus Christ. It's that bond that unites me to Christ, and it's out of that union with Christ that the life of Christ flows to me, and I believe what I believe. This is Christ in me, working in me, so that I believe in Christ, and I believe, you might say, what he believes, what he thinks. I believe what he has set forth in his word. Ultimately, the object of all true faith is God, and more specifically, Jesus Christ. That's the wonder of our salvation, beloved, that of all people, we know God. Stand back for a moment. You look at all creation. Maybe you stand and you look out your window and you see the, crowd, the clouds rolling by. Or maybe you're walking down the sidewalk and you're talking with God and, and you say, I just want to see God. I can't see you, God. I can't see you, Jesus. And yet, you find within yourself the reality that nevertheless, I believe in you. I know you. I know Jesus. That's God's work of salvation. That's God delivering me from my sin and misery. This is the faith God has worked in me by His Spirit and through the preaching of the gospel. God Himself has come in the flesh. In the flesh, He died on the cross. He bore the punishment I rightly deserved. And He has, he has obtained for me and He has also imparted to me eternal life. That's the faith of Moses who esteemed the reproaches of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Moses believed in Jesus in the land of Egypt and his salvation. This is why the Hebrew Christians were being persecuted, not just for believing in God, but for believing in Jesus, who died and rose again, and who with his once-for-all sacrifice on the cross brought to an end all the Old Testament sacrifices. What does true faith believe? It believes all It believes that Jesus did it all. Faith holds that the perfect, accomplished righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed to me freely, merely of grace. I am convicted of this. I trust God's word. I trust God who is my God through Jesus Christ and who never lies. How different that is from the unbeliever. The unbeliever doesn't understand anything that we're talking about this morning because the unbeliever doesn't have faith, right? The unbeliever says, give me science. I will believe science. And what we say is this, science reveals truth all right, but science is not the full truth. And the reality is in your unbelief, in your total depravity, you pervert science to serve the lie. You need faith. You need faith. To understand, the just shall live by faith. You need to walk by faith. Embrace the gospel. Not because faith is superstitious. Not because faith is a blind leap into the dark. Faith is not a blind leap into the dark. But faith is the means through which we actually come to understand the reality of this world for what it is. Faith causes us to see things for how they truly are. 
from God's point of view. And I can't convince you of something if God doesn't give you true faith. We're not saved by the power and persuasion of men's words. We're saved by God's grace. Now, that doesn't mean we don't do evangelism or share the gospel, but it it means even as we're having these conversations, talking to others about our faith, we, we look to God as the one who can open the heart and enlighten the mind. Now, when we talk about faith, sometimes the Christian can be weak in his faith. We, we talked about that a little bit. Sometimes the Christian can even lose a sense of his salvation, right? He loses his assurance, maybe, a little bit. And those are grievous, grievous experiences. And some of us might ask, what does the child of God need to do when he's in that situation? Well, he needs to keep driving to God's word. He needs to keep filling himself with God's promises. That's how your faith is strengthened. We even have those experiences, don't we? I'm struggling in my faith, and what do I do? By God's leading, I drive to God's word. I read his promises. I read them again, and I read them again. I reach out to Jesus Christ and his his salvation. I, I pray that God might strengthen my faith. Right? Just like the Hebrew Christians had to go to God's word and they had to see how Jesus is better than these Old Testament types. And they had to look to the example of the great cloud of witnesses. That's what the writer is doing in this chapter. He's driving them back to God's word. If you're struggling in your faith, go to these things. And the Lord himself, through his word and by his spirit, graciously stirs up that faith in his people once again. And we understand that even our activity of going to the Scriptures is God's own work of leading us and taking care of us, bringing us again to strong faith. But the calling God gives us is to exercise our faith, go to His Word, and flee to the cross of Christ. That's what He's calling these Hebrew Christians to do. And now very briefly, because we're looking at Hebrews 11 in detail, let's look also at the reward of faith kind of finish our treatment of these two verses. The gracious reward is mentioned in Hebrews 11, verse 2. For by it the elders obtained a good report. By faith. They obtained a good report. A good testimony. A good witness. From whom? From the world? Not from the world. They had a bad report from the world around them. The world hated them, scorned them, persecuted them, and and was killing them. This is not a good report from the people around them. This is a good report from God himself. God gave them a good report. God approved of them. God owned them as his own dear children. He's not ashamed to be called their God. They trusted God. They believed in God's promises, and their life, which they lived by faith, pleased God, and he gave them a good report. And they knew it. That's the point. They knew it. They experienced that good report in their own souls. They knew that God was well pleased with them. God's testimony rang in their hearts. You are approved. Well done, good and faithful servant. And the point is, we must live and walk by faith and not draw back because of the difficulty of affliction. The just shall live by faith. Living by faith, walking by faith, we enjoy a good report. 
Now, that doesn't mean that God approved of them because of their faith, on account of their faith. It wasn't because of their faith that they obtained a good report, but it was by faith, through the instrument of faith. These heroes of faith clung to the promises. They were embracing Christ and clung to Christ in everything they did, in all their activity. They were embracing Jesus, and they were approved because of what their faith clung to, Jesus. God saw these struggling saints mocked and despised by the unbelieving and hostile world, and he saw them in Christ. And he imputed to these men and women, sinners in themselves, the perfect righteousness of Christ. Through faith, they were approved. They were justified in their own experience by faith alone. And then they also lived out of that faith. They had the confidence of faith, the conviction of faith, and then they lived by their convictions which were always rooted in the gospel. And their life of faith, lived out of Christ, was very pleasing to the Lord. That's part of the joy of salvation. And this is all part of God's work of delivering us from our sin and misery. He doesn't just take away our guilt. He also works within us in a true and living faith. And He gives us the good works that we perform by faith. And He even graciously gives us that good report as we live and walk by faith, so that we know He loves us and He is well pleased with who we are in Christ. That's how gracious our God is, the God of our deliverance. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee that we see within ourselves this faith. We pray that Thou wilt strengthen that faith that we might walk and run by faith, honoring Thee, walking with Thee, and being an example even to those around us who might need to be encouraged by their brothers and sisters in the Lord. Bless us preaching to our hearts and to our lives in the strong name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.